We're still in 2 Corinthians. It's our second week, still in chapter 1. Uh, going to be in verses 12, going through verse 4 of chapter 2. And the title of my lesson tonight is, How Do You Know? How do you know? In these verses we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to see that Paul was supposed to go visit the church in Corinth, and he did not. And in these verses, he's trying to explain uh, why he couldn't go or why he didn't go. And as we talked a little bit about last week, um, this is a time where people are really questioning Paul and his motives. So the people, some people, probably false prophets, have used this as an opportunity to go after him to maybe question him and, again, who he is. And I started thinking about it, and, you know, this sounds a lot like today in a lot of respects, doesn't it? Um, I hate to admit it, but I am an HGTV fan. Any other HGTV fans? <clears throat> I can't get enough. I know, that's a character flaw. I'm sorry. But I, I used to really enjoy this, the show Flip or Flop. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And then the, the two, the husband and the wife duo, are now getting divorced. And now I just kind of feel sorry for them. I find myself watching the show now wishing I could talk to them and pray with them because they seem like such a nice couple going completely the wrong direction. But I saw on the news recently where she had posted a photo, I guess. I don't, I'm not really on social media, but I saw this on the article. And it said that she was posting a picture of her child near a pool and the people online just destroyed her, just like she's the worst mom in the world, and they just attacked her and kept attacking her and kept attacking her. And I'm just thinking, you know, taking one little snapshot of their life and then using that against them in such a horrible way is a little bit about the, what Paul's experiencing here. I also remember maybe a closer example of a, uh, actually a president of one of the Baptist seminaries not long ago sent out a, a tweet, and he was tweeting about the Russell Moore debate that's going on, and he said, I, I don't know of one prominent pastor that has asked for Russell Moore to resign. Well, it seems like a simple enough statement, right? But he got destroyed in social media over that one word, prominent. People just attacked him about, oh, I'm not a prominent p pastor, but I don't want him to resign either. So this is what really Paul's dealing with. It seems like everything that he does is under a microscope. And people want to find reasons to, to say that, that what he preaches in the gospel is not real. And that's a little bit of what he's going through tonight. So let's take a look at what Paul says about why he's not coming and see if we can answer this question. How did he know? How does he know? And uh, I'm going to start there in verse 12 and take us all the way through, like I said, verse 4 of chapter 2. So starting there in verse 12, it says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely towards you. What's he saying there? He's saying, listen, we speak in plain English, okay? We speak in plain English. There's no hidden message in what I'm about to tell you, or there's no hidden message in what I have been preaching and, and teaching to you. And then there in verse 13, he says, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on 
The day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So there he's saying, listen, I'm speaking in accordance with God's word. Okay, I'm speaking in accordance with God's word. And one day, we're all going to understand everything about it. Well, doesn't that sound good? I can't wait to just know. There's so many questions I have uh, of God. You know, and I know we all do. I look around the world, and there's so many things I would just like to know. I'd just like to be able to just say, God, just explain this to me. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, it says that one day we're going to come face to face and we're going to know. So that's what he's saying here. Listen, I speak in accordance with God's word. All right, there and then in verse 15, he says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I want to come. What he means there, that second experience of grace, he's just saying, listen, I wanted to come so that I could, I could teach you. I could preach. I could be with you. I could love you. I could care for you. I want to come. My heart longs to be there. And then in verse 16, it says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I'll stop there because I want to I wanna just pause for a second and say that I have a couple of, of my new friends in the room, Pastor Chen and his wife Grace. Um, welcome them to the class. It is great to have you here. I got to spend four hours at uh, their church uh, last Sunday, and I just had such a blessed time. Me and a friend of mine, Terry Chesbro, got to go over there and just, I was just so encouraged to be there and just to feel the Spirit of God in that room and to see that people worshiping and how much they, they love Jesus. And I thought of you when I read this verse, because it says, amen to, the glory, to God for his glory. And, and Pastor Chin, when he preaches, he has a great amen. And I love that. I love that. I was thinking about it all week. In fact, that, that song, we sang a song that day that uh, I can never get out of my, my head now. It's like, do something new in my life, something new in my life. Do something new in my life, oh God, right? So I've been singing that all week long. So we had the whole, the whole church doing that uh, last Sunday. So thank you for being here. It really is a blessing to have you. But amen to God for his glory. And then there in verse 21, and it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. He's saying, listen, I didn't want to bring harm to you. I really wanted to come. I wanted to be with you. I wanted to fellowship. I wanted to teach, but I didn't want to cause trouble. I didn't want to come there. I didn't want to cause trouble. I didn't want to make things worse for you. And then there in verse 24, it says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for your stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? I mean, have you also noticed the, the, the change in tone 
from certainly the first Corinthians, much more of a loving tone, isn't it now? We talked about that, that Paul now is really wanting to share with them how much he loves and cares for them. So then I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So my question, you know, in going through this is, is how, how did Paul know? You know, when he's sitting there thinking about this, how does he know? How did he know that he shouldn't go? You know, because we have thoughts like this all the time, right, and trying to make decisions about what we're going to do in life. How did he know? You know, and I want to give you another uh, uh, scripture that we're going to look at real quick from Acts. So if you turn to Acts chapter 21, just another example of this. I think it's a good, good to look at both in this context. So Acts chapter 21, I'm going to start at around verse 3. In this part of Acts, Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's just landed uh, at Tyre. It says there in verse 3, it says that we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So he gets there, and the first thing they're telling him is, Paul, don't go. You shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And then there in verse 5, it says, When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. The we in there, most people think that Luke was writing this. So we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in uh, Polotimus, and we greeted the brothers, finding Christians everywhere they go, and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. Uh, that's a reference back to Acts chapter 6, when uh, they, in effect, uh, appointed elders to help uh, the disciples, so that they could have more time to preach and, and teach the Word of God. So who was one of the seven and stayed with him? He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came from, down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt. This is a bold guy. He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people ur there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So there again, they're telling him, Paul, please don't go. You shouldn't go. And then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. So after that, they left, Paul and, and Luke and whoever was with him. And they went to Jerusalem, and, and lo and behold, the, the prophecy was, was right. When he got there, he was actually was beaten and bound, and eventually they were shipped him off over to Rome for trial. But how did Paul know? 
You know, I remember as an early believer, I was studying that passage with Mike Fetchner, and I just remember thinking, how did he know? How in the world? I mean, he's got, he's got brothers, he's got others there that are basically begging him, praying over him, please, you can't go, you can't go to Jerusalem. In the other context of Corinthians, they're begging him to come. There's a bunch of people there in the church that want him to be there. So how did he know? What is it that, that Paul has that we don't have? Because we all go through big decisions all the time, right? We all have some you know, life-changing decisions sometimes that we make. A lot of these could have been considered life-changing decisions for Paul. But it isn't even really just life-changing decisions that we kind of struggle with on a daily basis, right? We struggle with even sometimes just the small things, you know, and and I love that because, you know, sometimes you don't realize or don't even know today that sometimes the small decisions you make, God takes it and does big things, right? I mean, you know, I look back and I have a great relationship with Brandon Bowers at Awakened Church in Charleston. And I honestly believe whatever help I gave Brandon when he moved in to his new church, was it a big deal? I mean, to me, it was just one part, I have to say, if I'm speaking honestly, in the part of a busy day. You know, it was a few minutes that I would do here and there. But then I go there, and I get to be a part of that service, and I see what God has done with that. Completely out of anything that I would have ever imagined, just to see how God takes that small decision and turns it into something big. So how do we know? I mean, there are some people, right, that never, ever experience what God has planned for them because they don't go. They never, ever ever get to see the fullness of God in their lives because they're afraid to go. You know, they're afraid to go. Or it could be that, that they're staying when they should be going. No, you know, either way, he's, in one instance, he's, he's staying. He's decided to stay. In the other, he's decided to go. So I don't have like one thing I can say, always go. Sometimes the right answer is not to go. You know, it's these decisions. But how do you know? How do we know that? You know, last week we talked about why not me? You know, Instead of sitting around and questioning, why me? Why, 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 God, do I have this burden? Why, God, do I have to deal with all these problems? Why not me? God's given me something, and I'm going to use it. Whatever it is, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do my best with it. But once we decide, you know, why not me? I'm ready to go. Then the next question is, okay, what? What do I do now? How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know to follow his will? Well, I think Paul gives us two ways. Two ways, two pretty good ways that I think if you follow them, you'll, you'll know what to do like Paul did. The first one, and it's on your hand out there, you must be led by the Holy Spirit. You must be led by the Holy Spirit. If you look there in this chapter 1 in verse 21, it says that, And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Uh, that word there, anointed, means he has set us apart and gifted us. We're all anointed as Christians, okay? It says we, we've been prepared and empowered for service. I love that. You've been prepared and empowered for service. We all have all that we need to make this decision, okay? We have everything we need. In verse 22, it says, and he has put, and who has also put his seal on us. It's a mark of ownership. You're a Christian, you're, you're God has has bought you with a price, right? You're his. And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Man, I love that. So that word guarantee there is really more like a down payment. 
That's what he's talking about there. It's a down payment. When God gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, he's just giving us a portion of what we're going to get one day. Just a portion of it. It's a first installment. It's a down payment on the, on the future glory. And I was thinking about, when I think about that down payment, it's like, it's like one of those big, beautiful beach homes that keel with. I just, when I was walking down the beach, I get to look at all these homes, some of them more than $20 million. It's like getting to use that for free, all right? We didn't have to pay for it because Christ paid for it for us. So this is a little part of it. It's a first down payment. He takes all the glory and the power and the majesty of God and of heaven, and he gives it to us now to use here. Isn't that a great word? That guarantee, you just read right over that. But it's a promise from God that he gives you everything that you need, literally the power of God inside of us. That's what the Holy Spirit is, the power of God. It guides us, it teaches us, it changes us. It guides us, Holy Spirit guides us, Holy Spirit teaches us, Holy Spirit changes us. You know, quick story. I appreciate Stuart. He always, he's one of the few people that I follow on, on uh, social media, and he's always giving me good stuff, always giving me good stuff. So I was reading something that, that he sent that uh, related to this guy named Jose Fernandez. I don't know if you know that name, but Jose Fernandez was a Florida Marlins pitcher, died not too long ago in a boating accident. And uh, when they were having a small chapel, if you will, to, to, to mourn the loss, one of his teammates Adam Conley shared the gospel. Everybody said it was a powerful moment, and I can tell you reading about it, it seemed that way. I just wanted you to listen to what he said when he described that moment in the Spirit of God. He said, when the Spirit of God comes into a place like that clubhouse, when His Spirit comes and very clearly does a great work on this earth, it looks far different and far more radical than the types of work that you see your peers and yourself produce. Man, that's a good word, isn't it? When the Spirit of God comes into a place, His Spirit comes and very clearly does a great work on this earth. It looks far different, far more radical. You just know it when God's in it, don't you? You just know it when the Holy Spirit is there. It changes us. makes things different. It just does. I don't know how to explain it. Jerry talked about it tonight. The more obedient you are, the more you'll know and you'll hear God. That's, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. It's also the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom and discernment. These are gifts of the Spirit. God gives them as He pleases, but the Bible makes it clear. Paul says that you can ask for them. You can ask for these gifts. James says that if you lack wisdom, what do he say? Just ask. Ask God. He'll give it to you. And what about discernment? Discernment. Well, I love this. Practice it, it's what Hebrews tells us. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it says, But solid food is for the mature. You can write that down and look at it. It's a great verse to study. But the solid food is for the mature. It is for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know, we all talk about, I wish I had discernment. It helped me in life. You got to practice. It's living it out every single day. That's how you build discernment. I love that. Getting out and being in the world. Following God. That's how you do it. Every day, practicing your faith. Reading your Bible. Quiet time. For me, it's worship music. Man, I was sitting, I don't know, a few days ago, and uh, I was riding my treadmill, and it was bad on my knees because I went 15 miles, and I'm only supposed to go 10 miles. That extra five miles, I can, boy, 
Advil day the next day, let me just tell you. Uh, but I had on worship music, and I was watching these uh, YouTube videos, and it just, man, it just ministers me in just such a powerful way. It's just, it's just practice for me. You know, I have a hard day. I come in there, and I just block it all out. I got my headphones on, and I could just sit there. I could have went 20 miles if my body would have held up. I loved it. It just helps me. It's, it's ministering to me. It's, it's daily practice. Helps, helps build up so that you know, you, you, you come to know what God wants. You hear from Him. Prayer, boy, nothing bigger than that. We're going to do some praying in a little while. Prayer, it's good practice. So for this, man, if you want to know what God wants you to do, you got to be first led by the Holy Spirit, by God. If you push out the Holy Spirit in your life, if you place your will above God's, I can promise you, you're going to live in constant confusion. You're never going to know what's right. You're following yourself and you're not following God. You're never, ever, ever going to know. So number two, the second way I think that, second thing I think you've got to do in your life if you want to know is in all we do, it has to be all about Christ. In all we do, it has to be all about Christ. There in verse 20, it says that it's always a yes in him. I love that. Always a yes in him means he's always right. means that everything is fulfilled in Christ. Always a yes in him. It has to always, always, always be about him. What does the greatest commandment say? Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. doesn't give you an escape hatch. It's everything. All. We're called to be a follower. Love Kyle Adelman. Says we're called to be a follower, not a fan. He wrote a book called Not a Fan. It's a great book. It'll convict you like crazy. If you haven't read it, you should. Not a Fan by Kyle Adelman. I also saw where Christine Kane, she recently said, when you are focused on, fixated on, captivated by, enamored with Jesus, nothing else matters. When you're focused on, fixated on, captivated by, enamored with Jesus, nothing else matters. Must be your only priority. You've heard me preach this. I know lots of preachers will say he has to be your first priority. I don't believe it. He's got to be your only priority. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. If, he's, if, you're, if you're ranking it, I'm just telling you, you will move it around. There will be some days he's first and some days he's third. But if he's your only priority, you'll never have to, have to worry about where Christ is in your life. Because if he's your only priority, listen... You're going to love your wife more. You're going to be a, a, a more godly at your workplace. You're going to be a better parent, better friend. It all flows out of putting God in the center. It has to be all. Love God with all. It means all. That's what it means. There's no alternative definition. And if you confuse this, if you confuse this focus, again, you're never going to know. You're never going to know what's right if it's, if it's moving around. If it's you and if it's God, it doesn't matter if you're going or if you're staying. If you think of it at the heart of it, it's about whether it's about you or whether it's about Christ. That was at the heart of the decision-making process for Paul. He could have been selfish. Just reading that, right? He was saying how much he longed to go. He wanted to be there. He could have selfishly said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go because, I, you know, listen, I can handle the fallout. But he didn't. He didn't have his best interests. He had theirs and what God wanted him to do in that moment. You know, in the other context of Acts chapter 21, it could have been the other way. He could have been selfish and stayed. You know, everybody wanted him to go. How easy, or to stay, how easy would that be? 
I mean, put yourself in that place. People are praying for you, godly people in your life, brothers and sisters, people you respect, saying, no, don't go, it's too dangerous. And to have the conviction to say, no, you're wrong. God's telling me to go. I have to be there in Jerusalem. Think about the conviction it takes. You can't make that decision unless you're hearing from God and you've got Christ in the center. You've got to have Christ right there as your only focus. Can't do it otherwise. It's the only way. It's why Jesus says in Luke 9.23, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Turn away from that selfishness, right? Follow me. Because at the heart of it, it's not about us. It's about Him. It's always a yes in Him. I love that verse. It's always a yes in Him. And get this, for both empowerment of the Holy Spirit, keeping Christ as the only priority, you know where they come from? We've taught this before. They come from one thing. Surrender. They come for surrender. you got to surrender to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of God in your life. It's about surrender. you got to let Him lead. If you want to know, you got to let Him lead. Now, and you can't also be paralyzed by perfection. Can't be paralyzed by perfection. Stuart reminded me of that earlier. I appreciate him for it. It's a big thing that I've been struggling with. You know, I think we, we sometimes... Put, a, put forth something that has to be perfect. People start looking at it and thinking it has to be perfect. Man, never get paralyzed by perfection. That's not what God wants. God's not looking for perfection. We sometimes confuse that term excellence with perfection. It's wrong. Not what God's looking for. He says that, that his power is made perfect in what? In our weakness, right? Not our perfection. It's not what God's after. It's not what God's after. He just wants you in the game. Just wants you in the game, you know, and, and also don't go the other way. You know, I, I, I say the great Christian excuse is, is let me pray about it. I love that one. Let me pray about it. Every time you ask somebody if they could do something, I say, let me pray about it. That's, that's code word for give me enough time to figure out a way to get out of it. <laughs> I need to buy some time because you put me on the spot. All right? There's a fair amount of things in life that I promise you that, that you don't even have to pray about. You can go do, like maybe going down and serving the poor in the inner city, serving somebody in this class that needs help, being there for them. I promise you, God wants you to do it, right? The harvest is, is plenty, but the laborers are full. He wants you in the game. That's what it's all about, just getting the game. That's what, he, that's what God wants you to do, you know, like... I love the fact that Jennifer over there and Michael getting in the game. I love that. It fired me up. I saw that email this week about all that they're doing for missions. You know, getting the game. So many opportunities in this class to, to, to go. <laughs> so many opportunities to help and to serve one another in this class. Just got to be in the game. But listen, you know, I make light of that. Let me pray about it. There's, there's obviously great times you need to be praying about it. We're going to do, like I said, some praying tonight. I want this to lead into a time of, of prayer. We're going to end the class with a time of prayer. We're going to get Darren and Joy. They're going to lead us in prayer here in a moment. Grace back there is going to play for us in a moment. But before we do, I'm going to show a video here shortly. It's, a, it's of a song the Hillsong does called, What a Beautiful Name. I think it'll just help us get into the spirit for prayer. It talks about the beautiful, wonderful 
powerful name of Jesus. We're going to lift up that name of Jesus here in a moment. And we're going to ask him to, to empower us with his Holy Spirit. To, 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 to bring us to a point of surrendering our lives wholly and completely to him. Ask him for wisdom and discernment. For knowledge, for understanding. Just so that we can know. So we're going we're gonna to listen to it. We're going to go into prayer. Because as I promise you, you can know. You can know exactly what God wants you to do. Whether he wants you to go or stay, you can know. It won't always be perfect, but who cares? Does it matter? I can tell you this. If you're following the Holy Spirit, if you're focused on Christ, you can be sure, you can be sure that God's going to use it for good. Guaranteed. All right? If you hear nothing else, hear that. If you're following the Holy Spirit, if it's a Christ-centered, you can be certain that God's going to use it for good. No matter what you do. It really doesn't even matter. God's going to use it for good. What does Romans 8.28 tell us? It causes all things to work to good for those who are called in accordance with his purpose. He's going to work it out. So be bold and decisive in your life and in your prayer. Don't, don't just sit back and be afraid to make decisions. Paul certainly wasn't. Be bold. Be decisive. And as we head in, even tonight, into prayer, let's be Bold and decisive in our prayers. Hebrews tells us to come to the throne with confidence. You know, with confidence, knowing that God's going to answer. And then we can just let God do what only God can do, right? What only God can do, moving our hearts and our lives for His will, for His purpose. Let's, let's listen to the song and then they're going to come out and they're going to close us out tonight in just a time of prayer. Uh, you know, for me, I'm just, um, God's just really moving in my heart and my life and uh, just been praying a ton and just wondering, you know, kind of what's his perfect? How do I know? What, what do I know? Where, where am I going? You know, and um, I feel so blessed and so fortunate that, that God has given me this class to be a part of. And, you know, for me, what burdens me is I want to, I want to somehow, I want to somehow just, I, I tell you this all the time when I teach, here's my only goal. When I stand up here, is I just want to somehow share with you what God has shared with me. That's my only goal, to somehow share with you what God has shared with me. And he's just put such a burden on my heart to just rely on him. Let his Holy Spirit move me. Just be about him, about serving others, loving others. Stop worrying about all the other stuff. Let him lead my life. Make him the only priority. Let his power, his Holy Spirit move in my life. And that's... That's, that's just what I want to get out to this class. Everybody here, if we just let God move, direct us, guide us, just think about what it could do. I said it last week, just think about what God could do. You take a class this size and get them fired up for Jesus, running and powered by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, you could change, you can change a church, you can change a, a city, you can change a nation with just these people in this room. That's my prayer.
Heavens are broken.